Uh, I want to welcome you to our service this morning. Uh, again, welcome you if you are here for the first time. I believe you're here because God wants you to be here. Um, you're not here because um, necessarily because you know you've, you've thought, oh, you know, what a good idea to go to church. But God wants you here, and I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. And, and for all of us who come every week, um, uh, continue continue to be patient and persist, persistent. Uh, like you, I'd love to go back and have church together. But until then, we'll keep doing what we're doing. And um, praise God that you're here this morning as well. Um, again, I want us to I want us to be reminded. I, I I love reminding us all that we are part of something bigger than who we are. You know, of course, we are part of God, who's bigger than all of us. But, but God has brought us into a family of believers. And, and for some, that's very, very new. <laughs> as new as two weeks, one week, uh, you've given your heart to the Lord. And that's just an incredible thing, God's grace to come upon you, amazing grace. For some of you, it's been years, it's been years. Uh, but never forget, never forget how God has brought, God has brought you into this family. God has brought you into his body. God has brought you into his kingdom. And all around you, you saw today, people who are part of that body. And I, I really encourage you all to look out for each other, to love and support one another, uh, be kind to one another, care for one another, forgive one another, be merciful to one another. This is the body of Christ. And, and the world isn't going to give that to you. And so the church must help itself like this. If we don't get it from within, we're not going to get it from without. And so this is the, the body of Christ that needs to always be caring for one another. So please uh, continue to love and care and show mercy to one another uh, in the time, particularly during this very difficult time that we're in. That can be a text message. That can be a phone call. That can be a Zoom session. Keep doing that. Keep looking out for those that you don't see. Um, remember, remember, God hasn't stopped working. You remember last week's message? God has not stopped working. This whole thing that is happening around us might feel like things are slowing down, might feel like things are kind of being put on pause, but God doesn't go on pause. God doesn't stop. God's work is now, if, you, if arguably now more than ever, ever before, God is wanting to, to ramp up his work and to do the things that have to be done. And so we have this privilege to be part of that. We have a privilege and the honor that, to be part of something that God knew from the beginning of time was going to happen here in Melbourne. And so let's continue to be part of the work that God has given us. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. And so we've got an opportunity to rejoice today and be glad in it. Remember this date, whatever it is, now, uh, Sunday the 19th of July. This day will never come back again. We'll never have this day again. We, we, once it's gone, it's gone. You know, you can't look back and think, oh, I wish I had the 19th of July 2020 again. You can't. It won't. By the time midnight strikes, it's gone. Let's use this day to do whatever God wills for us, uh, whether it's, you know, resting with our families, whether it's on the phone with someone, whether it's, you know, having, having a Zoom dinner, whatever it is, uh, whether it's just spending time with your children. Use this time knowing that there's an opportunity here to um, do that which is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, this is a day that the Lord has made indeed. So join me as we pray this morning. I want us to pray. I want to pray for the Word of God this morning. I have a very simple word for you this morning. I hope it's encouraging. Um, I hope it helps. Um, I hope it, uh, you can identify with it. Uh, and so I pray this morning that the Word of God um, is, in, is an encouragement to you. So join me as we, as we pray together as a, a fellowship. Loving Father, it's so beautiful to see all my brothers and sisters and see their faces this morning. Father, I miss them and I know they miss each other. Uh, and Lord God, I just thank you that we have an opportunity to fellowship in this way. It's not the same. It can never be the same. But Lord God, it's what we have. And I just thank you for this opportunity in this time to continue to uh, gather in your word, uh, around your word and in your presence. Lord, wherever you say wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you're in the midst and I believe you are in the midst of us now. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts. Speak the words that we need to hear. Now help me, Lord. Help me speak from the words from heaven, Lord, into the hearts of people today. Now, you are a God who restores all things. And I thank you for this. And pray your blessing. Pray for those who are unwell among us, family members, elderly, the sick. Lord God, I pray your touch and your hand be upon them. But I also pray that you would strengthen those that are supporting them and encourage those that are supporting them and help them as well too, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray for the brokenhearted, that today those among us that maybe feel broken, that you would bind up the brokenhearted, that you would heal and begin to restore in the way only you can. 
So we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your mercy and grace and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want us to read from. Um, I'm going to read. I'm going to read a few passages with with you, and, and you might have to flick flick really quickly today. But it's all from one book. Now you don't have to do that. You can do that. Do that. You can just you can sit and listen. But I encourage you to have your your Bible open to at least at least the main passage that we're going to be looking at today. Then if you want to flick around other passages, that's completely up to you. But at least open up your Bible to the main passage that we're going to be looking at um, this morning. Um, have you ever ever thought to yourself or felt um, vulnerable? Ever felt vulnerable? Know what it feels like to feel vulnerable? We speak about the vulnerable in our community, and, and, and there are, indeed, there are the vulnerable in our community that are particularly vulnerable. But um, have you ever felt what it means to be, to be vulnerable? To be in a place where you kind of really don't know where it's going to go, like you're not sure, you've got to be really careful um, about, about something. You may be feeling this now. You, you, you may be feeling quite vulnerable, particularly in the climate we're living in, this whole COVID situation that we're living in at the moment. You, you may be, you may be, you may be really strong physically, but you may be feeling really, really vulnerable. How hard would it be for, for God this morning to convince you that there is victory through this vulnerability? How difficult would it be for God to convince your heart that in this vulnerability, God promises there can be victory. You ever had a situation where um, you've, you've wondered to yourself, what on earth is going on? Ever had that moment? You've looked at the circumstances around you. Again, look at our circumstances around us today or even other things that are going on for you in your life. And have you ever had a moment or moments or a season that you've sat in a sort of quiet place and thought to yourself, what on earth? is going on. How did this happen? How did we get to this place? How did I get to this place? How hard would it be for God this morning to convince you that in this moment or in this season that he's able to work? That in fact he may have orchestrated this season in order to work. How hard would it be for God to convince you of that? These things that sometimes seem like nothing's working. It doesn't seem to have an end. There doesn't seem to be an answer. So there's vulnerability in this. <laughs> What's going on? You just can't get what you want. Those of you that are old enough to remember a long, long time ago when I was a kid, I used to love this cartoon, this beautiful, this really almost annoying cartoon called The Roadrunner and Coyote. Remember that? Remember that, that cartoon? Some of you would remember, and, and, and the, the, the coyote's ambition in life, and very creative. You talk about innovation, the, the, the coyote was very, very creative. His whole ambition in life was to catch this roadrunner. <laughs> and he would, he would think of so many different ways to do that. And every episode, you think to yourself, would he catch, is he going to catch him this time? But every episode seemed to backfire on him, seemed to somehow, he just missed out, couldn't get him. The, the, the roadrunner was almost a bit smarter than him. You know, all the time he sort of tried all these things and this, this despair that would overcome him, but he'd get up and he'd try again. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like the very thing that you hope for, you, you, everything you try doesn't seem to just cut it, doesn't, doesn't work. But you know you just got to get up and, and, and just go again. Well, interestingly, the people in the Bible felt exactly like that. Often we look at people in the Bible and we think, oh, man, they were invincible. They were like um, without feeling and emotion. Yet here they, here they are expressing honestly their hearts. They expressed honestly their hearts with us. They shared with us what it felt like to go through life as a Christian. And I really appreciate that, that we can see and we can identify the things that are in the Scriptures because these men and women of God share with us, help us to understand who we are in life today and in that vulnerability, the victory we have in Christ. Now, when we're honest, it's important because we're not being honest in order for us to become complacent. We're being honest 
so that we can find an answer and victory in this situation. When you're honest, you don't take on the role of a victim and say, you know what, I'm a victim of these circumstances. No, when you're honest, you're honest so that you can find victory through this. But you've got to be honest. You have to be honest. There's no point praying to God and not be honest. It's not pro- no point seeking counsel and not being honest. Not being honest with yourself. If you're in a serious situation, no point sugarcoating your situation because truth doesn't pierce sugarcoating. Truth pierces honesty. You, you can sugar. We can sugarcoat our situation, but find that we'll never be free. And so God is a God who looks deep down and says, you know what, I see what happens. I know what happened. I understand what happens. I know what's going on for you. I know you feel like you don't understand what's happening, what is going on around, what on earth is going on. But in this vulnerability, I'm going to promise victory. That is a God I want to serve. Because what can this world throw at me? What can this world do to me? What can people say about me? Knowing that I have a God, that in my vulnerability, He's going to find a place of victory for me. That is the God I want to serve. That is the God of the Bible. That is the God that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to do a little bit of a, a, a study this morning. And if you like doing studies, I'm going to, I'm going to capture for you uh, the, the feeling of 2 Corinthians. I want to capture the feeling of 2 Corinthians. And if we don't finish today, that's fine. We'll see how we go. But 2 Corinthians... Um, is a beautiful book that speaks a lot about this vulnerability and pain and, and, and sense of hopelessness, this, this sense of confusion sometimes, or com- rather complexities. And so, so 2 Corinthians has this feel about it. And, and I want us to, I want us to um, identify with what it's saying. But the main passage I'm going to read is, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to read mainly from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and use that as a bit of a springboard to other verses in the Bible, because other verses in this chapter and in the Bible as well. Because what Paul is saying is very, very significant. He understands life, but he understands the God of this life. And he understands what life is really achieving, what God is actually doing in our life. Because God is not without purpose and God doesn't stop working. And we talked last week how God is still working in the situation around us. But listen, God is still working in us. God is still working in us. And if this morning you say to yourself, I can't see that. I don't understand that. What is going on? Then I want to encourage you, God hasn't stopped working. So if you open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 4, and um, we're just going, to read, just going to read this passage, and then I'm going to go to a few different verses uh, for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible says this, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in the craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those that are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, yet not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the lord jesus that the life of jesus also may be manifested in our body now some of you have probably read this passage before i'm sure lots of you have read this passage before but i want to use this passage to explain how god is working through our circumstances despite the intensity and the complexity of this to 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 accomplish the very work that he has in his very heart and intention for us as as his children now, this is not a, a unique passage to this, this whole book. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians the second time, 2 Corinthians, when he wrote to them the second time, he's writing with this on his heart throughout the whole book. It's a theme that Paul carried throughout the whole book. And I want, us to, I want, I want to highlight a few passages here 
for you to see what was on Paul's heart and Paul's mind. Now, you can go with me to these passages or you can just listen to these passages. But I want you to go back to chapter 1 and we're going to do a little bit of a very brief study of this book. Okay, And it's just going to be brief. just want to highlight a few things. If you go to chapter 1 of this book, and I want to show you because no one writes a letter. When you write a letter to someone, you don't usually read a letter from the middle of the letter, do you? You don't open up a letter and go to page 5 when there's 10 pages to the letter. You generally start the letter from the beginning. So I want to give you a context, just a little bit of a context of what's going on in Paul's mind and Paul's heart. Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. <laughs> Paul's opening line, opening passage is, listen, listen, I want to tell you something. Life is hard sometimes, particularly as a Christian. We go through trials and tribulations, but there's a God who comforts us. And he's talking about this relationship with God. He's saying, you know what? We serve a God who looks at the affliction and the complexities of his people and comforts them. And he goes, and then with the comfort he has given us, we now have the capacity to comfort other people. Because we've received from him a divine comfort. We know what it means to go through something and experience the strong arm of the Lord. And so we're able to comfort our brothers and sisters as well. When we look around and we care and, and we show concern for one another, we're able to comfort them with the same comfort God has comforted us. Go with me to verses 8 and 9 in the same chapter. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now there's a little bit of self-disclosure here. Paul's talking a little bit about himself here. That we, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we were despaired even of life. I don't know. Can you identify so far with what Paul is saying? Is there anyone listening this morning that can identify that there is comfort that you need desperately from God? Or there are sometimes moments in your life where you feel you are burdened beyond measure or above even your own strength? That you feel a burden that you think you can't even carry anymore, it's beyond your strength? Even to the point where you despair um, of your own life? What's what Paul's saying? Well, we had a situation in Asia where it was like just too heavy. It really got too heavy for us. He goes, but there was a reason for this. And in verse 9, yes, and we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And Paul found some comfort in knowing what's this world going to throw at him that God isn't going to find victory in? What's this world going to throw at him that at the end of the day, God isn't able to overcome? Because what's going to separate him from the love of Christ? What's going to separate him? Who, who can separate him from the love of Christ? Okay, at the end of the day, they kill him. God's going to raise him. And he found comfort in that. And God taught him to trust in God. God taught him not to trust in himself. And I find sometimes the despair of life is often complicated and amplified because we find ourselves trusting in self. And God is saying, hey, you need to learn to trust in me. Even when it feels way too heavy to carry anymore. I'm teaching you something of the glory and the beauty and the liberty and the freedom of trusting in me. Go with me to chapter 2, verse 4. Paul keeps this thing going. He says, For out of much affliction and anguish, of heart I wrote to you. <laughs> yes, I'm writing to you with much affliction and anguish. That, that's the premise. That's the beginning of his letter. I'm writing out of this condition of heart. That speaks volumes. With many tears. Did Paul cry for them? Yes, for many tears, he says. Not that you should be grieved, 
but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul shares his heart with them. I'm writing out of anguish and affliction, and I'm writing with many tears. Uh, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit. Oh, what was going on, Paul? You had no rest in your spirit. Because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. You know what? You can over-spiritualize this. You can say to Paul, really, Paul? You know, move on, man. Get over it. Okay, Titus wasn't there. Big deal. Someone else was there. But for Paul, he really wanted to see Titus. For Paul, it was on his heart. It was deep. It was meaningful. There was something about his connection and his relationship with Titus and his ability to see Titus that meant a lot for Paul. So when he didn't see Titus, he had no rest in his spirit. You could have said to Paul, Paul, God gives you rest. But he had no rest in his spirit. He was troubled. Because even in this situation, God is able to work. God is able to move. God is able to accomplish what he needs to accomplish, even in Paul. Go to chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Have you identified with Paul so far? Anguish, affliction, tears, uh, uh, pressures beyond your strength, the sentence of death, discomfort. And now Paul's saying, you know what? I realize something. <laughs> I've got no sufficiency in myself. God has given me something that helped me to help help me to understand I'm not sufficient of myself. I don't look to myself for sufficiency. I don't look to myself as if like I'm going to be my answer to everything. I can't look to myself for sufficiency, he says, but my sufficiency is of God. Brothers and sisters, as a Christian, if you have not come to a place where you've realized that you are not sufficient of yourselves, you have not come to the depth of the knowledge of God Himself, because this is where God lifts us up and His mercy becomes for us everything that we need. He becomes our all in all. So maybe this time of brokenness and vulnerability, maybe this time is an opportunity for God to remind us and to remind you that we are not sufficient from ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And then he speaks of this beautiful um, um, ministry. He calls it a ministry, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is the background. He says, the Old Testament, man, the Old Testament was glorious. It was magnificent. You know, Moses had to put a veil on his face because it was so glorious. But he goes, the New Testament, Jesus died on the cross and what he accomplished for us and what he continues to accomplish through us. That, he says, is more glorious. Man, you thought, you thought that was good. This is more glorious. It's like when you bring out you know, um, meals at a restaurant and you, you bring out the first course and you think, oh, that was, that was, that was really nice. You know? But then the main comes out and you think, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it makes the entree seem like nothing. This is more glorious, he says, more glorious. Look at verse 17 to 19, chapter 3. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Yeah, we're saying that this morning. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, in all these things, and all these insecurities that Paul has just spoken about, in all these anxieties and troubles and complexities that Paul has spoken about, he comes back and he, and he grounds himself. He finds himself grounded in something really, really significant. And he says this, I now live in a time, as part of a ministry, as part of an era, as part of a generation that is glorious because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This morning, beloved, God's Spirit brings freedom. This morning, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. And when we behold 
the glory of God. And that's an amazing thing to do, to behold, to gaze, to look upon, to consider, to think about, to meditate. The glory of God, the truths of God, the amazing love of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God, the forgiveness of God, everything that He is that man is not. When you behold the glory of God, what happens? Like in a mirror, looking back to you, your life, your life begins to be transformed, changed, uh, uh, restored back into this same image, this glorious image. There is restoration for your life. Your life is becoming more like Christ. This, he says, is far more glorious than the Old Testament could ever give you. He goes, and I live now in existence in that glory. And today we are the same. Yes, there is COVID. Yes, there is loneliness. Yes, there is a sense of heaviness that our state is experiencing. Yes, there are things that are still happening in your life. Even if COVID disappeared tomorrow, you would still be going through things, other things. But in all these things, the Spirit of the Lord is present. And we are part of a ministry where we can know that if we behold the glory, we are being transformed more and more into the same image. And so that, as a background, if you like a platform, we, we look at chapter 4. And now Paul begins to say what is truly what he's communicating with them in this passage. And so I want us to look at these verses, not all of them. I want to look at, look at some of these verses. We'll look at verse 1 with me again. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, yeah, now you, it's a bit clearer. We have this ministry we have, we, that we have received mercy. We don't lose heart. You know, sometimes he uses this word lose heart because he knows and understands the experience. This lose heart is everything he's been speaking about. All the verses we've just read and the verses we're going to read in the same book. This whole thing, he goes, because we have this ministry, this glorious existence that we have now that we can behold the glory of God. He goes, because we have this, we don't have to lose hearts. We don't have to become faint or too heavy for ourselves because we have this ministry. Now, we're going to unpack that a little bit more, but it's really hard sometimes. So it's really easy sometimes to allow the circumstances of life to cause us to lose heart. Ever felt like that? Just, you just You've lost heart in the situation. You, you, what's happening? You can't see a way out. You, and so Paul is saying, because now, yes, I would have been like that. That would have been my experience. But because I have this ministry, God has called me into something. Not a ministry like a work, but the ministry of God's glory that's transforming me. It's because I have this, I have a reason for my heart to stay consistently strong and growing. Not to necessarily become heavy and faint. But you need to be honest, brothers and sisters. If you're losing heart, you're losing heart. And so you tell God, God, I'm losing heart. And allow God to come and bring you back to the scriptures that, and a courage that is based on the ministry that is glorious, that is going to um, uh, uh, promise you, promise you, to transform you more and more into the image of Jesus. You know, sometimes at school, if we're doing like a yard duty at school, and, and we're asked, and I would often do yard duty uh, in the primary area. It's quite fascinating doing yard duty at a primary school, uh, in a primary area, because you get someone who's like really little, like a preppy or a wani, coming up to you, and they're bawling their eyes out. I mean, they're, they're crying. It's so hard. They're, like their heart is going to pop out of their mouth. You know, they're crying. And you're looking, and what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? You know, what's going on? And all of a sudden, you realize this little scratch on their knee. There's this little, little scratch on their knee. Not even bleeding much. Just a little scratch on their knee. And you think, oh, you know, they scratched their knee. You know, but they're bawling. They're, they, they just can't stop crying. Now, for them... <laughs> for them, it's it's real, isn't it? It's you know you know it, it, you know it, it's a real experience for them. And you think to, you begin to to think to yourself, boy, if this is the only problem you have in life, you are cruising. But for them, it's real. It's real for them. But they haven't got perspective, have they? They haven't quite got perspective. Yes, it's real. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's the end of the world. Yes, they're going to chop my leg off. Whatever they're thinking in their head, right? 
but they haven't got perspective. They've lost perspective. Faith. Truth. The bigger picture. What God is doing in this. And I might be able to stay there and talk to them and calm them down and that be a calm, reassuring voice, you know, and send them off to the first aid. Like we send people, you know, we say we, we bring them to Jesus. You know, but they themselves need perspective. And brothers and sisters, our faith and the word of God allows us, allows us to bring this perspective and to encourage us not to lose heart. Paul says, you know what? I don't lose heart because I have this ministry. Verse 2, he says he's renounced the hidden things of shame, which is really important. He's renounced the hidden things of shame. And um, not walking in the craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He says, you know what, I'm going to be authentic here. I'm going to be authentic in my faith. You know what, to every man's conscience, I, I, I stand a free man. I know, I know in my life, it's not something that I'm out deliberately doing that I'm going to somehow meddle with the word of God deceitfully. I know my conscience is clear. And verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, brothers and sisters, don't think of this verse to mean just the perishing outside in the world who don't come to church who are lost. This could be anyone, whether they are in church or whether they are out of church. When the gospel is veiled and people don't see it, they can be, they're in a place of, of perishing. So we have a responsibility to let the gospel be seen. Verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. What's happening here? Who, who is behind all this work? Who is trying to blind and destroy the souls of people? We know the God of this world. We know the enemy. We know the devil, Satan. What he's trying to do is blind people. So people are saying, I see, but, God, but the devil's saying, no, you can't because I've blinded you. And they think they see. Well, see, these people are perishing. They're losing their souls. And the God of this world is blinding them. Because now we understand, we get a bit of insight to this as Christians, that we understand something very, very significant. We have a spiritual enemy. And this spiritual enemy, is going to take all the complexities and all the vulnerabilities of life and all the confusions of life and he's going to amplify them and he's going to throw things completely out of perspective. And he will because he'll shoot at you arrows to say, see this situation? It is way bigger than what it is. And that's why the Bible says you need to carry the shield of faith because the shield of faith quenches the arrows of the enemy. So when the enemy comes and speaks things, and he won't say to you just complete lies, he'll take a bit of your situation, he'll take a bit of thing that's true, he'll take a little bit about the background of the situation, and then he'll blow it up to the point where you despair even of your own life. Yes, but the God is what is blinded. He's blinded. There is no truth, there is truth here. And let's remember, brothers and sisters, it is a spiritual battle. The battle is spiritual and the battle belongs to the Lord. And so verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. And, I, and, and this morning, brothers and sisters, all I want to do is, is preach Jesus to you. But at the end of the day, it becomes all about Him. And once you start to make life all about you, then yeah, I can see how you can fall into despair. But this morning, I want, to, I want to make this all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about your circumstances. It's about Him and how He's able to come in and find victory in this vulnerability. And so verse 6, He says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That what God has done is this. God has taken the situation and God has made it from creation. He broke darkness with his light and does it with us today. So verse 7. But we don't have this treasure in earthen vessels, he says, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. This is a beautiful passage, beloved, because it's saying that, the, that we become fragile vessels 
that we are sorry we are fragile vessels that contain priceless treasure why does he even say that to us because he wants us to understand something very significant we are by nature our, our human nature is very fragile it's like an earthen vessel you know like pottery i don't know if you did pottery at school before in the past but i used to love doing pottery at school and you used to make the clay and put it to in, in the in the place to, for it to, to burn and to harden and so you, you have this pottery but you know what if you dropped it on the way home from school forget it crashed gone into pieces you can't rescue it because it's fragile it's an earthen vessel and God says this, you know what? We are earthen vessels. We are. There is a, something about us that's very, very fragile, and very, very vulnerable. But in this earthen vessel, God has chosen to place a priceless treasure. Why? So that He gets the glory. He is able to demonstrate His power in us. So that we can't say, whoa, I'm so strong and mighty. No, you are fragile and you are so fragile that you could be smashed in a moment. Yet God puts this treasure in you that He gets the glory and you learn to trust Him. I think that's pretty cool. The deeper we understand our need, beloved, the deeper we understand our need for mercy. It makes us want to cling to him and definitely doesn't want, to, doesn't want to make us cling to sin. It makes us want to run away from that very thing that will smash the earthen vessel. It makes us want to run to him. Remember Paul said something quite significant later in the book, and you don't need to turn to this. He said something quite significant. When he had the thorn in his flesh and he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, please take this away. Three times he asked God. And God said, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And Paul's pleading, God, please take this thorn away. And God's saying, listen, in this situation and in this circumstance, I need it to stay. Because my grace is sufficient in your weakness. Not your sin. But through this time of being fragile or vulnerable or complexity or difficulty or infirmity, my power will rest upon you. Trust me. And that's what he says in verse 7. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Verse 8. For we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? We're hard-pressed but not crushed. You ever seen one of these animations or these old movies where, you know, you have someone going between the two walls and the two walls will be coming closer and closer and closer. And you go, oh, no, you've got to get out of these two walls. This is what Paul is sort of saying. It's hard-pressed. It's becoming narrower and narrower and narrower. And you almost think to yourself, I'm gone. Well, no. He goes, I'm hard I feel hard-pressed, he said, but I'm not crushed. We are perplexed, he said, but not in despair. This word perplexed is very fascinating. Paul felt it. You know that feeling of when you say to yourself, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. I don't know what else to do. He goes, I'm, he goes we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Because despair takes it to another level. Despair says, I'm at a loss and there is no way out. Because God always finds the way out. That's our faith. That's the belief. That's, that's what Jesus promises us. I'm perplexed, he says, but I'm not in despair. Persecuted. It's like someone on a run. Someone's on the run. Someone's being hunted down. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Because God promises to be with me. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, you can imagine someone who's trying to follow the Lord and someone comes along and just beats him across the head and he falls down. He's struck down, but he's not destroyed. God lifts him up. You know, like a boxer, a boxer's in a ring. You never seen those movies, you know, again, if you watch Rocky, those movies where, where two people are boxing and then all of a sudden someone lands a really good blow on someone else's face and they go down for the count and they're about seven, eight, nine. The person's crawling up the ropes, is crawling up the ropes and somehow he manages to stand up again and then win the fight. Struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down, but haven't lost it. That's what Paul says he's experiencing. 
There's no point blaming people, beloved. <laughs> There's no point that boxer blaming the other boxer. Oh, he shouldn't have hit me. Why did he hit me for? Because that's what life is. There's no point blaming, beloved. We are broken and beaten. Oh, sorry, we are broken but not beaten. I don't know if you're old enough to remember, again, about this perspective. Um, do you remember the days of the Malways? I don't know, does anyone still own a Malway? Malways were interesting because now if you want to go somewhere in Melbourne, you, you tell your GPS, you punch it in and it tells you where to go. But Malways were interesting because you had to look up the street address and you had this book you had to somehow navigate through and every page you, you turned didn't necessarily go to the next street. You might have had to flick a few pages to get to the next street. You had to navigate your way. But I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever held the Malway up the wrong way? If you held it the wrong way, you lost, man. You want to be going east, you've been up going west. You've got to hold that Malway the right way. And so sometimes in life, it's the same thing. You've got the Word of God that allows us, allows us to see life right. And we take God's Word and it gives us this bigger picture perspective on life. And what Paul is saying is this very, very clearly. I've got a better perspective here. God has given me faith. God has instilled in me a faith that I don't have to lose heart. It's a glorious ministry. And he says this, I'm hard-pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, not forsaken. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. This is not unique to Paul. Let me read a few, a few other verses to you, and I'm gonna, I'll start to wrap up. This is not unique to Paul only. The psalmist said something really interesting as well too, and I'll just read it out for you, Psalm 119. He goes, my soul melts, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Why does the psalmist say that? If, if we don't go through these experiences, why does the psalmist even say that? My soul melts from heaviness. You know, like something that melts away. It's almost like different to burning. Burning almost is like, and I, this is my spin on it, but burning is almost like something just goes all of a sudden. But melting is almost like this slow problem that just sort of slowly happens. You know, like butter in a frying pan, or have you ever seen plastic melt? It just sort of melts away slowly. Yes, my soul melts from heaviness. And then his cry out to God is this, strengthen me according to your word, because his word is our hope. You see, it's the promises of God. It's the promises of God that bring hope back into a situation. Boy, if I trusted in my feelings, I might have been destroyed years ago. But the word of God brings back hope, stability, grounds us into security. In all our securities and all our vulnerabilities, the word of God is able to keep that ship stable in the storm. Doesn't mean the storm has stopped. And boy, it doesn't mean sometimes you get a bit seasick, you know, but there's, there, is, there is that stability. Jesus had the same experience. The Bible says that he was troubled, Mark 14, he was troubled and deeply distressed. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful because at that point of his life, he was going through very, very intense challenge and trials to the point where he was troubled and deeply distressed. His soul was exceedingly sorrowful. But was that the end of his story? Not at all. God raised him. In fact, the Bible says this later in, um, in, um, in 2 Corinthians, later it says that Jesus was crucified in weakness because you look at Jesus on the cross, doesn't look like a strong man, does he? Do you see Jesus on the cross and think, whoa, what a strong man? No, he looks like a very weak man. And he was. His earthen vessel was crushed. His earthen vessel was crucified. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13 that he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. And boy, that's, that's often... Uh, sorry, that, that, can be, that can be your experience, and for some it's an often it's an experience. So God is working things. God is working things and creating in us the ability to live by the power of God, that the power of Christ rests upon us. It's the same what happens in, um, later on in 2 Corinthians. He talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I call these self-exalted thoughts. You know, thoughts that go through our head that want to exalt themselves higher than the knowledge of God. Whatever it might be. Anything that will rob you of faith. Anything that will cause doubt. 
anything that would allow you to think differently of God and who He is, anything that would dismiss the glory of God, any thought, the Bible says Second Corinthians chapter 10, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He says, you know what I do with those thoughts? I take them captive. I take them captive. I bring them down and take them captive into the obedience of Christ. In other words, these thoughts must obey Him rather than me be a victim to these thoughts. Wow, what beautiful faith. So what beautiful perspective faith brings. Oh, it's hard sometimes. And sometimes you do it and it doesn't happen. Sometimes you do it again it doesn't happen. It takes you time and time and time again. But God is faithful. God is faithful. What He promised, He starts, He finishes. That's why Paul says in Philippians, I'll tell you something. You're going to get a lot of situations. This is my paraphrase. You're going to get a lot of things going on. But think on things that are good and just and noble and true. Think on good things. Because this is the sort of thing that we need to have our minds focused on. God is working in that vulnerability. God hasn't stopped. God is working in our situation today, in our circumstances today. And particularly in our hearts. And then finally, verse 10. Always carrying about, sorry, um, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. This is really interesting. All these experiences, they're not in vain. They're not like useless. All these experiences are, what they are doing is a couple of things. They are revealing what Christ went through. So you're going through what he went through. And don't think you're not, because it's another lie of the enemy that nobody understands. Well, you know, you're going through what the Lord went through. And in doing so, you're experiencing his own vulnerability and how fragile he was and the, the experience of his life so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in your body. Yes, there is a part of you that is dying so that Jesus may be living. Understand? And that is glorious. That's the ministry he spoke about back in chapter 3. The ministry that is glorious. We are being transformed into the same image. God is working this situation and that it's not in vain. He's working a work that is far more glorious than we can ever imagine. Boy, it takes faith. It really takes faith. This is God, if you like, restoring and forming Christ in us. Restoring and forming Christ in us. These promises went back years ago. I'm going to finish with this verse. These promises went back years and years ago. Back in Isaiah, the prophet said this. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them, listen, listen. This is what Jesus does for us as his children. These are the promises that we hold on to despite the circumstances. Because sometimes that's all we've got to hold on to. To give them beauty for ashes what beauty for ashes what a contrast this is the promise of god but when life feels like ashes burnt nothing inability to restore itself how do you put ashes back together you can't it gives us beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning wow you don't see it now maybe you think it's not possible this is the promises of god the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Wow. Take off. Put, so put on. Put on God's garment of praise. Allow your heart to learn how to praise and to worship God who for what he has done and what he promises will continue to do. This is the reason to praise him. And though the circumstances don't go away, suddenly we are learned to praise Him in the storm. And what happens? God keeps working and God keeps moving and God keeps perfecting and God keeps establishing the faith that He wants in us. So He gives us a garment of praise 
for the spirit of heaviness. So that heaviness eventually what happens? It is lifted off. That they may be called trees of righteousness. Wow. We look at each other and what do I see? God working a tree or an oak of righteousness. Solid, strong. The planting of the Lord. He plants and that he may be glorified. And isn't that the end of all things? At the end of the day, we're being transformed into his glory. But all that is going on, if we can keep perspective and say, Lord, this is working to, 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 to make in me more and more the image of Jesus. That I may be the planting of the Lord and that you, at the end of the day, may be glorified. That's a faith worth pursuing. That's the faith that God is promising so yes, the people of God, the, the, the children of God, Paul himself, there is so much. When you think of vulnerabilities of life, when you think about the things, we don't understand what's going on around us. God is at work. God is working in this. God is promising to accomplish the work that he has started first in us. And, and there are going to be lots of things that will come our way to allow us to learn not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in him. And for that, I think... That is a faith, again, that's worth pursuing and living for. Let me pray for us, brothers and sisters. Let me pray this morning. Our loving Father, I thank you, Lord God, for all the promises in your word. Lord, you're a God who, in the midst of all that is going on, is still working. In fact, you're probably working more than we can ever imagine. And we just thank you for this, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that you haven't stopped COVID hasn't stopped you. Uh, our, our being isolated hasn't stopped you. Um, Lord, you are working around us and especially important, you are working within us, Lord God. Father, encourage my brothers and sisters to, to not only look out for each other, but also to come before you and look after their souls. That, Father, to know that you bring beauty for ashes, Lord. You bring the oil of joy for the spirit of mourning. Lord, you bring a garment of praise for heaviness. You're a God who works all things for good, and we thank you for this. So, Father, we pray you bless them, encourage them, and strengthen them the rest of today and the rest of the week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.